Welcome to Sound Thoughts on Art, a podcast from the National Gallery of Art. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Art can engage all of our senses. We hear music, we see a photo, we walk around a sculpture, we taste fine food. Standing close to a favorite painting, we can even smell the wood or oil paint. But it's when our senses work together that things get really interesting. When we listen, what do we see in our mind's eye? When we stand in front of a painting, what do we hear? This podcast lives in that convergence. In every episode, you'll learn about a work in the National Gallery's collection from someone who knows the art and its context. You'll also hear a musician respond to that work through sound, creating a dialogue between the visual art and music. Sound Thoughts on Art tells the stories of how we experience art and how it connects us. Art meets us where we are. In this episode, we'll explore Romary Bearden's 1967 collage called Tomorrow I May Be Far Away. Bearden was born in 1911 and grew up in Harlem. Throughout his life, he was an advocate for and scholar of African-American artists. His artistic work spanned decades and mediums. But this collage is a good example of how he portrayed normal Black American life. For pianist and activist Lara Downs, the collage feels like memories, fragmented, blurry at the edges, but cobbled together into something familiar. Lara is no stranger to the gallery or its art. She performed in the Sunday concert series on October 8th of 2017. When we asked Lara to create a musical response to Tomorrow I May Be Far Away, there was a clear starting point in the title, but that jazz standard became just a small piece of what she made for us an audio collage featuring work by composer Nathaniel Dett. We'll let her take it from here. Tomorrow I may be far away. So I put together sounds that, you know, were never meant to coexist. And when you overlay them, they have moments where they sit together really comfortably and they have moments where they kind of fit wrong. You know, laying the, the blues recording over the chords that I was playing on the piano, I just let it be. I didn't want it to line up exactly because, you know, the recording is what it is. It can't be changed. So it, when you hear it, there are places where it aligns perfectly and then there are places where it wanders a bit and then comes back together. And that was intentional because I think that these sounds from different times and places need to have their own freedom to coexist the way they want to. And then even laying this, the sound of a train under the whole thing, there were places where the rhythm of that train was absolutely pulsing along with the rhythm of the music, and then sometimes when it would stray from that and then resolve itself. And I think that, you know, that's just a metaphor for the ways that life creates discordance and then hopefully resolves. Tomorrow I May Be Far Away invites us to interpret it. And yet it's also 
rich with abstraction and subtle details that even a trained eye might miss. For guidance, we spoke to Stephen Nelson. He's the Dean for the Center for Advanced Study in the Visual Arts at the National Gallery, and he's also an expert in both African and African-American art. Describe the the work to me. If I were just seeing it on the wall for the first time, what will I notice first? At first, you're going to notice the side of a house. And, you know, and it's in, in these sort of greens and yellows. And figures come out from it. And so there are three figures. One is looking out of a window. One is seated sort of in front of a wall. And then there's another that looks like it's, you know, sort of crouching in a front yard. They're disjointed figures. So, and, and that's part of the process that, that Bearden uses. There are a whole bunch of different kinds of papers. And so some of them he procured and, and colored with either charcoal or with pencil. There are also pieces that clearly come from print media magazines. And so the, so it becomes very intentional where he's using what kind of paper and how and for what. So we're looking at this house in in this sort of yard with a lot of different textures and different colors and is is a bit sort of disconcerting in 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 insofar as it's sort of disjointedness through collage. I want to take you back to the moment when you were staring at this piece of art and trying to to pull meaning from it. Let's can we go back to sort of that moment and what you remember thinking? What went through your mind as you were looking at this piece? That it's a puzzle. That it's a puzzle and it's full of questions and kind of unfinished business, which struck me so hard because in all honesty that's my life. That's sort of the story of my childhood and my family, it's full of questions and puzzles and unfinished business. There are huge gaps in my knowledge of my own family's history on both sides. And this piece, for some reason, captures a lot of those in some very specific ways that were really startling to me. Why are there so many puzzles and mysteries in your background? So my, my father grew up in Harlem and his father worked on the railroads. So he, he was never home. And my father's mother died when he was very small. So he was raised by a couple of elderly women who I think one of whom was his godmother in Harlem. So there's just this huge blank space where my dad's family's story belongs. And the few tools that I have to piece that together are my memories of him. He died when I was nine. So the memories that I have are childhood memories and fractured ones at that. I don't even know how much I remember of my father versus what I have stored away, you know, from photographs. It's that strange mm, disconnect in your own memory. One of my favorite photos of my dad is this black and white photo. I think it's taken um, still in New York and he's smoking a cigarette in this very elegant way that only belongs in the 1960s, you know? Probably, honestly, that photo is from right around the time that this piece was made. You know, the three figures aren't looking at one another. They seem not to actually be interacting with one another. What do you think the relationship of these three people is? 
As I was describing the painting, I thought, well, you know, they're they're in front of this house, so I there's a piece of me that wants to presume that they are relatives. Yeah, they're on a farm. They're on a farm, right? <laughs> so they know each other, but you know, it's not warm fuzzy family time. They're all individually together. They're all off in their little worlds. And so it's it's interesting. I don't sort of see a connection between the three characters, if only because, you know, the one on the the one in the window looking out, the one on the left, is sort of looking away. The one on the right has has his head tilted just a bit, just a bit to the right. And his hands are in his lap. You know, he's sitting sort of wide-legged. He's (laughs) man-spreading. And he's sort of just looking a little down and away. And then the figure on the right, who is a woman, is sort of absorbed in her chores. And so you have these sort of three very sort of isolated figures in the, in this picture. I wonder if the title is also connected to that train in the upper right-hand corner. Oh, the train. Well, it's, you know, there's the, the, the role of the train in travel, right? And then, and that is the most obvious thing to say in the world, right? There's, the train's importance for African-Americans. And so if you think of the Great Migration from south to north in the first half of the 20th century and the Underground Railroad, too, because even there, you know, if you think about someone like Harriet Tubman, she, you know, sent a lot of her passengers north by train. So, you know, they didn't all walk or they would get to a certain point and go go farther north on trains. And so they would go from places like Mecklenburg County to Chicago, to Pittsburgh, to New York City. But travel is also metaphoric. So I'm not going to be here. And I'm not going to be here may mean I'm going to travel to Pittsburgh or Chicago or wherever. But it means I also may just leave this life. Not that we're dying, but that we're going to sort of go off to something different. The piece is inspired directly by a blues classic called Good Shem Blues, uh, which was recorded in 1929 by Edith North Johnson. And, you know, so knowing that the artist had this song in his ears as the inspiration for this piece drove me to um, start there, of course. And the title of this piece, Tomorrow Maybe Far Away, speaks of journeys and of um, voyages, you know, physical and and sort of um, emotional. This notion that there's another place, you know, that there's always another place and another reality, and we keep journeying to find it. Starting with that song and starting with this old recording from 1929, which has its own layer of patina on it, gave me direction about where to go. And where to go for me was backwards. This notion of journeys, I think, put me firmly into a place of thinking about the Great Migration and music that has traveled as a result of of that journey. I wanted to think about where this moment, 1929, this recording, where does it fit in the story of the migration and the story of Black music? It was interesting. You know, the piece that I chose by Det was actually written in the same year that Bearden was born. And for me as a classical artist, you know, this place where concert music and the Black tradition connect is a very personal and 
kind of obsessive place for me. So imagining, you know, where does this music go from 1913 until 1929 and the different lives that these various musicians lived and, you know, the life that this artist led, what were the different kinds of music that they would have encountered and how did all of those kinds of music inform their experience and their artistry? What do you think is the mood of this work? Is it somber? Is it hopeful? It doesn't strike me as somber, and that's because of the palette. So if you think of the, the greens, the yellows, the sort of greeny blue, those kinds of things, it's not somber. Um, maybe hopeful, maybe contemplative. If you think about sort of the positions of these people, they're sort of looking askance, they're looking away, but they're not somber. I think they're deep in thought, and we just don't know what they're thinking necessarily. But if we put the train together in it, it may be about being somewhere else. It may be about being someone else. It may be about getting out of the condition that you find yourself in. It's a feeling of the things that we take with us and the things that we can't leave behind. And in music, what that meant to me was to go all the way back to the beginning of where all Black music starts. And, you know, that's a question of spirituals. That's a question of um, music that's always expressing struggle and survival and journeying and hope. It's interesting. It's, you know, there's contrast, but if you squint at it, you know, a lot of the differentiation in color fades away. So so the lights and darks all just sort of start to compress into one another. For me, it means that you have to work harder to really see what's going on. What do you take away from the colors that Bearden used? In other words, how do they strike you? I think there's a faded quality in in all of the colors across the spectrum. And that, to me, references memory. The way that we transform things in our memory and also the way that things become faded with time. What does faded sound like when it Mm -hmm. becomes music? I mean, it's a hard question for me to, to answer because I was going to say almost all the music that I play is, you know, something of the past, but it all is. I mean, it's all of the recent or distant past. And so the moment that it, that it passes through my hands, the moment that it passes through a musical interpretation, there's kind of this new layer that goes over it, right? So I don't know, are we talking about fadedness or is it a question of just sort of layers of opacity? I'm seeing something in my mind that I'm not able to articulate very well. It's almost like translucent layers that begin to cover that original crisp score. It, um, it may be hard to articulate in words, but this is the challenge that you faced in creating a piece of music based on the collage, correct? Well, isn't that the great thing about music? It's so much easier <laughs> to articulate in music. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and that came really beautifully. And it was just a, a, a fun um, exercise in layering again. And there are so many layers in this piece that I created. There's kind of a layer of sound, just of an old recording, you know, which is such a distinct sound and I think speaks to all of us. And then digging down into the layers of history and specifically of African-American history to build my own musical collage. 
Are there chords or keys in music that automatically reflect a color or mood? Hmm. It's really common to think of a major, you know, one, three, five chord as upbeat and positive. But do you think that's true? I think that's so personal, but, and it's, it's something, again, it's so instinctive and it's always been true for me. It's an exercise I love to do with kids because um, it's one of those games that, you know, you have to kind of say the first thing that comes to mind. But for me, yes, B minor, which is a key that um, comes up in this piece is sort of a muted light blue, like a light grayish blue. The green keys are G major and D major. E-flat major is a deep purple. B-flat major, a uh, dark green. I guess all the, all the flat keys have a darker uh, hue to them. I've thought about this a lot because I don't know that those colors actually have any relation to each other. It's not like you go up the scale and there's some relationship, you know, that develops between the colors. For me, they just, they're just these very random associations. What kind of relationship do you think there is between the visual arts and music? It's a great question. And of course, it's it's a, a question that people ask very often for Bearden. And, you know, for Bearden, people often talk about his work in relationship to jazz. And I think that in this particular case, I think if we were talking about Bearden and jazz, the ways in which he worked, you know, so the collages that that really come about, they're really a product of the of the 1960s for him. There's a fusion of what jazz might look like and his training in in art making. And so, you know, he sees collages, he listens to jazz. How does one visualize this to think about something else? Or in this case, to think about black memory or black life or his own memories, or his own life. What do you think music can do to change or influence someone's relationship with a piece of art? Well, I think that, you know, we all have different um, sensory receptors, right? For me, my gateway in, my first gateway in is always music. So if I'm standing in front of a piece of art and I'm listening to something that is going to influence the way that I'm receiving or um, processing what I'm seeing in front of me. I think that music has this very different way and very profound way of um, establishing mood. But I also think that music is um, malleable depending on where it finds us. Right? So, I mean, I'm very aware that I hear different pieces of, I hear pieces of music in different ways, depending on, you know, where I am in my emotional state or my, um, my situation. And I think when you put those two things together, you could almost do an experiment where, you know, you, you would have different people experience the same combination of music and and uh, a visual image and or have one person um, ex- have that experience at different times and in different places. So I like to think that it, you know with this music 
um, as you say, you know, to close your eyes and see the piece, that this music puts you into a place of um, recovered memory almost. It's almost like a physical memory, I suppose, that would allow you to journey inside this piece of art and receive these layers and these references and these memories in a deeper way. Do you think you would have a different view of this piece when you were younger? Absolutely. And also eight months ago, (laughs) right? Uh, And that's the beautiful thing, I think, about how we process music, art. It, It finds us where we are. I wonder what I would have thought about it when I was younger. I think I would have taken it much more at surface value. I think I wouldn't have been so committed to kind of following these layers back to where they originate. The more that we go through our lives and question our own origins, the more a piece like this resonates with us. Does that mean you might see it differently in a few years? I hope so. Maybe I'll know more. Maybe I'll know less. <laughs> I've grown to believe that it's it's the stories that we can't know that mean the most, you know? And I find myself as an artist continually going back to the stories I don't know. You know, I there's so many stories in my family going back, even just one generation, but certainly the generations before that. And I, I won't ever know those answers. And those questions are what inspire me to keep creating and um, finding, you know, the meaning that I find in my work. So maybe that just intensifies as we go along. Maybe if I come back to this piece in five years, in 10 years, I will discover even new layers. That suggests that the music you would write in five years would sound different. Is that correct? Absolutely. And the music that I would write, you know, two weeks from now would sound different. And and the way I would play it would sound different. That to me, I guess, is the biggest difference between a piece of art and a piece of music because a piece of art remains and it it asks us to find new things in it. As a performer, the piece of music is there for me. The notes are there for me, but I have the ability and almost the responsibility to shape them differently every single time. I'm taking that role, you know, with my, my brush, my tools to make something that can never remain the same. Here is Lara's audio collage one more time, uninterrupted. Tomorrow I may be far away
Thanks to Lara Downs for her music and her candor. Sound Thoughts on Art is a production of the National Gallery of Art's Music Department. The show was created by Danielle Desword-Hahn, the National Gallery's Head of Music Programs, and mixed and produced by Maura Curry. You can find more information about everything in today's episode at the National Gallery's website, nga.gov podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Thoughts on Art, we would love for you to subscribe. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening. I'm Celeste Headley. Until next time, be well.